0: Hi, I'm Rami.
1: And I'm Shannon, and this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. I think Rami is trying to do this thing where he finds a way to scare me by not telling me anything about the episode.
0: Did I tell you the title of this episode?
1: No, you didn't even tell me the title of this episode. How fun. But honestly, you can't like you can't really scare me. It does feel fun. And like we're going on an adventure together and I just get to sit back in the passenger seat while you do the driving. So where are we going today?
0: So this is not a book. This is not a something that I heard or learned. This is something I experienced. Cool. I don't think we've done one of those before.
1: I don't think so either.
0: So, I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to use a quote after, and then we'll do a little comparison of some philosophers, and then I'm going to have Shannon hopefully share a super freaking cool example.
1: Okay, pressure's on.
0: (laughs) And I think if, if, if I do this right, we should come out of this hopefully feeling a little optimistic about the we in the world and not the I.
1: Excellent. I could use some hope.
0: So I was going for a run the other day and I was right at the end. Let's say I was 90% of the way through and I was at a red light and I'm always at this red light because it's a huge intersection. I always, always wait there. So I like ran the red light i like stop and i like walk while i'm waiting for the lights to like fully change around and it takes forever because it's a huge intersection and so i like i hit the red light i usually go to the right like if i'm coming towards the light the only options i have because i'm on a south east corner Mm -hmm. is to go right or to go back the way i came so i usually go right and then i come back and then i'll walk back where I came waiting for the light to change and then come back and then just hit running and cross back through the street so I like walked to the right I came back and I was starting to walk the other way and realized that there was a car that was pulled over and I like looked back at the light and I was like oh the light's changing like this is my chance I can hit the light or I can like go see what's going on in this car I'm, like, tired. I'm at the end of my run. Like, do I really want to, like, go out of my way? I was like, okay, fine. I'll just, like, go see what's wrong. So I, like, go over to the car. This poor kid was in his car. He's like, I don't know what's going on. The car won't move. I'm like, well, you're right in front of a gas station. So if we can just, like, push it in there, at least you're not in the street, like, with your hazards on. <laughs> I was like, do you know what to do? He's like, no. I was like, all right, put it in neutral, and then you're going to have to steer and I don't even know if I can push your car. It's like an SUV. Like, can I push the car? I have no idea. <laughs> I haven't tried to push a car by myself uh, ever. Cause it's always like, oh, you, the car broke down. There's, like, some people or whatever. So, like, I go to start pushing it, and I can't move it. And this lady who is smaller than I am, only speaks Spanish, comes over and, like, makes a pushing motion. And she goes, like, pushing? I'm like, yes. So she comes, and the both of us go to push, and we can get it to the um, gas station but we can't get it up the lip of the drive so we like get it going and then it rolls all the way back and we're like okay maybe we just like need to go faster so we like rev up she like counts down with her hands and then we like hit it as hard as we can and then we got it like further than the last time but then it still like starts to roll back and then all of a sudden I hear this booming voice this humongous dude is like let it roll back and then we're all gonna push it really hard together Oh my gosh. and so the three of us push it we get it up there and then we're like yelling at the kid like put it in break now like we don't want this to roll back and the guy says alright are you good to me I'm like I think so and then the lady like gives me the thumbs up they both disappear instantly I don't see them I like ask the kid I'm like are you good he's like yeah triple is coming Like, all right, see ya light change. So then I just took off running and it was just like the wildest thing because I think it wasn't, it was very difficult for me to be the first person to help, but it was super easy for the next two people to help because they already saw someone doing it. Right. And it was like, oh, that person is struggling to do something. I can tell that. So it's like easy for me to come and like help push. And then for the third guy, he's like, those two are struggling. Just, like, I'm going to pull over for a second and I can, like, help. Like, I'm the one that can help us, like, get through this. It was just a nice moment of, like, seeing people pull together in a, like, everybody going out of their way to help someone when they didn't need to help someone. Mm
1: -hmm. That's a really beautiful story.
0: Also, if you're in a car, you should definitely not be over in this intersection because I've seen this happen three times on my runs now.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: So that's not like this is the most recent example of that, but this is how it happens every time. Car breaks down over there. One person starts to push. It wasn't me in the last two. I go and help, and then usually someone else comes and helps us, and then we get the car in. Wow! So it's a haunted corner. It for is cars. a haunted
1: corner. <laughs> and I always but, debate that too when I'm when I see a car broken down. My assumption is always like oh they'll have a cell phone and like it might be weird i get that Mm -hmm. that's a different scenario a little bit because like they're not safely out of an intersection so you you gotta get them moved what were you gonna say though
0: no i think it's just i'm gonna read this quote from fred rogers because this is what it makes me think of and then i want to go into a little philosophical discussion so the the quote from fred rogers which apparently adults hate I read an Atlantic article about how much they hate this quote and it's for little kids only. Here's the quote. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping.
1: Why do adults hate that quote?
0: Because they feel this is the Atlantic article. They were like, because it feels like you should be forced to be helping. Like you should be the helper because you're an adult. Cause as a kid, you can't really help.
1: Oh, I don't know. I offer that to my clients a lot when they're moving through transition and they're like feeling like who's going to want to help me. I'm like, people like to feel needed. Can we all just Mm -hmm. remember that? And I get that there might be times where you feel too needed, but for the most part, if you're really clear on what you need, people like to help. Yes. (laughs) I do. (laughs) You do. I think. Yeah. I mean, as the story would illustrate.
0: Guilty enough to do it. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about this idea of Descartes versus uh, Ubuntu. Uh-oh. So Descartes' famous quote... Shannon, do you know what Descartes' famous quote is?
1: No, and my husband will be embarrassed. My husband was a philosophy major.
0: I think, therefore, I am.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: So his existence is based on the fact that he, as a individual, thinks. Uh-huh. There's a South African... Um, philosophy I wouldn't say philosophy it's more like an ingrained piece of their culture called Ubuntu which is I am a person but together I am we are people because of each other Hmm. right like the interconnectedness like I don't exist individually I exist because we exist which is the opposite of Descartes yep and I think there's something really beautiful about the idea of thinking in that way of Ubuntu versus Descartes of it's a we, right? So if we see someone that needs something like we will help them. And it's not even a question of should we help them? It's no, we sh- we will help them, right? They say that um, Nelson Mandela was explaining this and he said when someone would come into our village, we would give them food, we would give them water, we would give them shelter, it wasn't that they needed to ask to ask us like because of this idea of Ubuntu, like we just will give that to them because that's what we would want. Yep. And I think that's really beautiful. And so we're going to take a semi minor pivot here. And I want to talk about the huge helpers in our lives and the people that have changed our lives. Mm. And I can start by giving an example and then while i'm doing that chin you can think i don't know if there's anyone important that you want to talk (laughs) about but maybe there's an example you want to share as well um but i want to talk about my first manager at target i i think it was really interesting what so it's 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 hard to talk about the people who have really been those like huge helpers in your lives Mm -hmm. Uh, i think because they have a lot of impact but Thinking back on my first out of college, like full-time job, like trying to figure out like what this first step means, like building the foundation, doing all those things. My manager was really interesting. His name is Alan. And he pushed me really hard to do two things. And I think two things that have really guided me and helped me balance, find the right balance in my career throughout. The first was forcing me to join the design thinking group. And like really invest my time in it and find that maybe the job isn't what's motivating me, but the ability to get to do those types of things like working with the design thinking group does, which makes doing my job so much easier, right? Because it's like, oh, get my job done. I'm going to go invest my time in that because that's what's fulfilling me. But I have to be doing a good job because if I'm not doing a good job, then like I, I don't earn the right to go do that thing. That was the first one. Mm-hmm. The second one was forcing me to get my Six Sigma black belt, which I did not want to do because <laughs> it is very tedious. And anybody that knows me knows that like details are the most boring thing to me. And so, to do Six Sigma, you're literally in details. Yeah. Like it's you're looking at minutia. You're looking for statistically uh, uh, a statistically significant number. That's greater than 0.05 right like that's what you need to prove is that like the statistical significance and without him saying like no this is something you need i would have never done it i failed at it twice i did it 3 times which i wouldn't have done it more than once if i failed um and so that just forced me to say like oh i can do these things if i like just am forced to do them which has made those types of tasks in the future so much easier because it's like, Oh, I can do that. Like I went through three failure, two failures of six Sigma to get to my third one. And like, I can do those things now. Wow. And so I just think of how in the moment it didn't seem like big things, but like now that I think about it, it's like, no, I always need to have like this way that I can do design thinking or whatever it is as like a portion of what I'm doing. And then like, I know that I can do the minutia and the details when I have to as a means to an end.
1: So this is fascinating for me. I don't think we've ever talked about this guy. Like I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to place who this was to, at target, but it's interesting to me because I will forever associate Robbie and design thinking. Like that's just like a big, part of you it probably was around well before you had that concept so to speak Mm -hmm. but it was just like a helpful identifier if you will Mm -hmm. so that's like really striking me in this moment but then the other thing i'm curious about is how did those experiences change or shape how you choose to help people today
0: i think the the thing that i pull most from that is like mentorship and mentorship of others and helping people see things that they may not see themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I didn't see those two things about myself, but he did. And so for him to like push me to do those things, I think that has always made me want to invest in others to like, hopefully have similar impacts.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's enough about me, Shannon.
0: Let's talk about you.
1: I'm laughing a little bit listeners because Rami and I had a conversation offline about a person in my life who is really significant. And I love that you found a way to like weave it into this episode. So good job, Rami. Yeah. So the two people that come to mind and I fondly refer to them as my fairy godparents, because it really feels like that was the role that they they played in my life. Um, I'm going to share their names because they think they deserve the credit are John Nassif and Helene Hul, his wife. And John was a Lebanese immigrant and he is a true, he's since passed, but he is, was a true rags to riches story. You know, if you talk about the American dream, that was him. I didn't meet him until he was maybe in his 70s um, th- through his wife Helene, who grew up in the same part of the, the country that I grew up, the same part of Wisconsin. Um, And John and Helene chose to help me in so many ways moving through life. So I vividly remember John and Helene giving me a 1989 Toyota Camry with like 200, maybe even 300,000 miles on it as my first car so that I would have the ability to drive the 45 minutes into the cities. And work for them, right? So he was always big. They were both always big on, like, how do we, like, you don't you don't just give it, but, like, how do you help mm-hmm. somebody find a way into it? Um, so he gave me my first car, and then I would clean their apartments on the weekends. And that was a really so, lucrative job. He paid me 20 bucks an hour to clean his apartment. I didn't know many 16-year-olds making 20 bucks an hour at that point.
0: Hold on. They hire the 16-year-old who has no means of transportation. Yeah. And then they give you a car. They give me a car. Right. Good enough. It gets you there. Yeah. Gets you back. And then on top of that, then they pay you to clean their apartments.
1: Yes. They paid me 20 bucks an hour. I think eventually they started paying me 25 uh, to clean their apartments. And I was a hard worker. Like that was the thing that my mom and dad had always taught me that I think they valued and appreciated in me. But then like the story just gets richer and deeper. Um, So when I went to college, so I did that for two years in high school. When I went to college, I was needing like more work, basically, to be able to pay for school. And so John introduced me to Mo, who's the owner of the Downtowner restaurant in St. Paul. Mo is also an immigrant. And Mo gave me a job being a food runner in his restaurant on the weekends. So on Saturdays and Sundays, I would pick Helene up at like 630. I would take her to church. And then after we were done with church, I'd drop her off and I'd, and I'd go to the downtowner and I'd work at the downtowner for, like, a seven-hour shift to make money. <laughs> and John and Helene would inevitably, like, come in through that time and, like, you know, good job, keep going kind of <laughs> a thing. Um, and then I remember vividly one semester when I couldn't pay for all the classes that I needed to pay for. I'm going to get emotional. You're going to make me emotional in this episode. Um And I was really stressed because even though I was working three different jobs, two, thanks to John and Helene, one, thanks to an internship, I didn't have enough money to pay for all the courses that I need to pay for. And they gave me a loan. They gave me a loan for $15,000 so that I could pay for everything that I maybe needed to pay for, whether it was that semester or that year. Um, And then like his, just his continued ongoing generosity. When I graduated from college, they, I, I, I'm the house that I'm sitting in right now. I really wanted this house, but I couldn't get a mortgage for it because I didn't have stable income. They gave me a mortgage for my freaking house because no one would give me a mortgage at that point because they trusted me to like pay them back and be a person of integrity. And then as I was making payments on um, my student loan with them, after I paid off half of it or something, John forgave the rest of the loan, like the $8,000, not the mortgage, the mortgage I paid for in full. (laughs) But the the student debt, he forgave that at a certain point. And somewhere along the ways in there, he also like upgraded my car as I think my high school graduation gift. He gave me like a a little bit more reliable car (laughs) because they wanted to make sure that I was going to be safe. So there are just so many ways that they have both impacted me. I think also in seeing like, I was one of many, I was one of many people that they helped. And that is what has made me the helper that I am. That's why I asked you, like, how did that impact you? Because Mm -hmm. I, I am so humbled by the ways that they supported somebody or, or, helped somebody get a leg up that they didn't know really that well. Um, and that has impacted me so greatly. I'm a commitment to donating as much money back to St. Kate's as I was given in scholarships. It's $70,000. Halfway through at 35, paying it back. John's gift to me of forgiving that loan, I'm a commitment to he has a scholarship fund for, for K-12 students to be able to go to a certain school. I give money to that scholarship fund all the time because I want to pay it forward. I don't mm-hmm. want it to stop with me in all the ways that they both supported me. So I could go on and on. Like he's, they they were just, Helene is still alive. John has since passed, but they're just such good people. And they impacted my life hugely. And we got to keep that current flowing is my belief.
0: I love that. So <clears throat> <laughs> I, I was, uh, while Shannon was telling the story, I was cutting an onion. So, <laughs> And then, and then I went outside and it was raining on my face. So. <laughs> the, the the takeaway here, and it's very, very simple. Think about the people that have helped you. Reach out to those people if they're still alive and thank them, right? Call them. Yeah. Send them a note and just let them know like how much you appreciate that and the impact that they've had on you and, and let them know, right? Like... I think it's really important for us to be helpers, but it's also important for us to recognize those helpers in our lives and and just appreciate them. And so if you take anything away from this episode and you think about the helpers that have been there for you and you can reach out to them and just have a connection, um, then I think we've succeeded. So I will end it with be a helper and be thankful for the helpers that you've had.
1: Beautiful. With that, we'd love for you to connect with us on Workplace Hugs on LinkedIn or Instagram. And I would genuinely love to hear people's helper stories of when they've received help and support from other people, because I think that's just so moving and so inspiring to want to continue to pay it forward. Um, And with that, I've been Shannon.
0: And I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs.